It is episode 33 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We are talking Chicago Cubs baseball. And what did we tell you, folks? We said when the Cubs and the Rockies meet at Wrigley Field, things get weird. And things got really weird here today as we record this Wednesday, August 25th. Lots to talk about on episode number 33. We want to talk about this homestand. It started with a real woof, a three-game sweep against Kansas City, then got real weird with the Rockies coming into town. Jeremy out at the nightcap game today. So certainly want to hear his thoughts on being out at a mostly empty Wrigley Field for that chaotic ball game. After that, one of the highlights certainly of today was Patrick Wisdom, the game-winning home run in game number one. We want to talk about his rookie of the year candidacy where does he fit in the mix is he a viable candidate to win rookie of the year and what would it take for him to put a good enough september together that he is in the running for rookie of the year cubs have a tough road trip coming up here three on the south side three in minnesota we'll talk about those series we'll also get weather from our buddies at cubs weather and then we'll talk a little bit of free agency i know we're jumping the gun with that a bit still a month of baseball to play here but we'll start throwing out some names or ideas of players or positions we want the Cubs to be aggressive with in this upcoming offseason. Big news out of St. Louis. Randall's guy, Yadier Molina, decides he's hanging it up after next year. We got to talk about that. And then we're going to take a look back at the 2001 Chicago Cubs. Last time we talked Ricky Gutierrez. Tonight we're going to talk about a game from May of that year, a monumental victory over the Los Angeles Dodgers. So looking forward to getting into that. Jeremy Spector's here, back from the ballpark. Randall J. Sanders is here. We got a late night recording of Behind the Yellow Line tonight. Uh, Jeremy, really quickly, how are you doing tonight? You had a weird night at Wrigley Field. Yeah, it was a weird night. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, Cubs, Rockies, Wrigley Field, crazy things happen. Uh, I, I, it was a crazy night, and the Rockies got the win 13-10. to 10. But, uh, you know, I, I was a little surprised. I've been to two seven-inning games this year. And they've both gone extra. So I've gotten to see a lot of baseball. And this was a long, this, you know, it was the ninth inning. It was a four hour game already. And now I was a little surprised. I thought they called after the fifth inning or whatever. I thought once it was official, it's getaway day for these teams. It's pouring rain. I just figured they'd call it, but they never did. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about the series. Randall's also with us tonight. Randall, I was thinking about you a bit this weekend. Cubs Royals. We were talking on the last show. Cubs have a pretty good chance here of winning a couple games, maybe even getting a series sweep. That's rock bottom, getting swept by the Royals. How did you take that this weekend? Indifference. You know, it's it's real hard to get too high or too low on this team right now. There is no such thing as rock bottom because this is this is not a good team. I'm not telling anyone anything they don't already know. This is not a good team. There is no rock bottom. You're going to get swept at home by the Royals. You're going to lose a game to the Colorado Rockies, who it is late August. They came into this series at Wrigley with 14 wins on the road this year, 14 wins on the road. And it is August 25th. When we record this, this is what this team is going to do. We set it at the trade deadline. This team is going to be bad and they are bad. So it's hard to get too high or too low on them. Well, you've got a very even kill approach. Uh, I still get emotional with baseball and we'll get into that over the next hour here on this podcast. Um, before all of that, though, this is episode number 33. When I think of 33 in Chicago sports history, the PIP, that's where my head goes. Scotty Pippen, those great Bulls teams in the uh, mid 1990s and late 1990s, that duo that he had with Michael Jordan. Randall, you're our numbers guy. When 33 comes up, in Chicago Cubs history, what jumps out to you? You know, 33 has been one of those numbers that's had 
kind of some folk heroes around it. You had Daryl Ward, you had Glendon Rush. Um, so yeah, 33 has been kind of one of those journeyman numbers that nonetheless has had some, some interesting players assigned to it over the years. I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me. I, I normally pull it up to see if there's any other names that come to mind and, and maybe I'm omitting a big one here. Who's the most recent player to wear 33? That is an excellent question, Ronan, courtesy, of course, of Casey Ignarski's great website, CubsByTheNumbers.com, which you should uh, be visiting regularly if you do not already. Um, we're missing Clayton Richard, a hero oh. of those 2015-2016 teams. We're missing one of the great managers in Cubs history, Dale Swaim, was a number 33. Uh, Cubs legend DJ LeMahieu was a number 33 in his brief time as a Cub. So again, it's one of those numbers that's really been passed from one reasonably interesting or maybe reasonably uninteresting player to another uh, from year to year. And right now it's on a coach and you know what? I kind of hope it stays there for a little while because that way it can't get passed from one half year player to another time after time. So I'm okay with seeing on a coach for right now. Who was the most recent player? Uh, the most recent player to where it was. And you know, I'm, I'm going to mention another fan favorite here, Daniel Descalso. Oh, in, no. In 2020. <laughs> and most notably, Dan, and although I'm not sure he ever actually wore the number on the field because he was injured for the entirety of the 2020 season. Descalso, of course, in his great tenure as a Cub, started as number three. But when David Ross returned as a manager, uh, Descalso did the smart thing and handed the number over. He doubled that digit wise to 33. And again, I don't think he ever actually took the field in that number because I don't think he ever actually played a game in the 2020, what passed for the regular season. So if you want to go one more back on that, it is Jim Aducci, the uh, oh. journeyman oh. outfielder, first baseman who got some run in the number in 2019, as did uh, Tony Barnett, who pitched in the number in 2019. Tony Barnett, a great closer with the, uh, I believe the Yakult Swallows of uh, Nippon professional baseball over in Japan had a great career there as a closer came back to uh, the Cubs and major leagues pitched here. Not very well, not very long, but we'll, we'll say Tony Barnett and Jim Aducci both wore 33 in the 2019 season. All right. All right. And Randall, I got to ask, is it safe to say pre Eric Sogard, your most recent, most hated cub was Daniel Descalso. You know, that's probably fair. They were very similar players. Uh, Descalso played on the Cubs in a time where certain um, personal decisions were perhaps not as prevalent and not as visible. So I'm willing to put Sogard higher in that category than Descalso was. Um, but Ronan, I'm going to drop another 33 here. Uh, a guy who probably near and dear to you, Hart, Bill Miller of the 2001 oh, yes. Cubs was a number yeah. 33. Wonderful player. High on base percentage, a guy who was sort of ahead of his time in a sense with that, that he would be even better regarded today than I think he was held back in 2001. Great player, though. Horrific injury that he suffered in St. Louis. Um, still came back, though, that year. And, and 2001's a season we're going to talk about before the end of the show. Nice, Randall, getting that one in there. I knew there was someone from that timeline. And I was thinking the name that actually popped into my head was Bob Patterson was a relief pitcher in the 90s but I don't know maybe he was in the 50s I just kind of see Bob Patterson I see the number 33 popping up uh, but I don't think he was actually in 33 you're not nodding at me so I'm willing to bet that he wasn't wearing that we'll find out what Bob Potter Bob Patterson wore <laughs> and we'll tell some Bob Patterson stories a little bit later on in a future edition of behind the yellow line and go oh yeah, I think you got it go for it 
Bob Patterson was a 35, Ronan. Okay, your, that was close. Your 1996 through 1998 Chicago Cubs, number 35. Big old Bobby Patterson out in the Cubs bullpen. Goes without saying. Next show is a big one, boys. 34. Some big time 34s in Chicago Cubs history, including, I think, almost all of us in here, some of our favorite Cubs of all time, especially that one in 1998, Kerry Wood. But we'll save that for next show. We'll do a little Lester Wood and whoever, you know, other players in Cubs history that wore that number 34. And, and we'll if, we're gonna throw a, that. if we're going to throw a 33 shout out to yeah. non Cubs in Chicago sports, I would like to throw a 33 shout out naming some guys, uh, Peanut Tillman. An all-time oh. great uh, Chicago Bear. Absolutely. Pioneered the peanut punch. He did. One of the best ball punchers there is. I'm sure as we get deeper into the fall here, there's going to be a little bit of Bears chatter that's going to work its way into some of these podcasts. But we're talking Cubs baseball. Kansas City Series. Is there anything anybody wants to say about the Kansas City Series, or do we move ahead to the Rockies? It's open forum if anybody has anything to say, but it was an ugly weekend of Cubs baseball. You know, I feel like the less said about that series, the better, perhaps. Uh, they weren't particularly fun to watch. They weren't particularly fun to follow. It was two bad teams playing, and the road team happened to come out on top all three games. It's the drive for five for that number five spot in the draft. Well, they, they helped their cause, getting swept by the Kansas City Royals. Then the Rockies came into town, and and we talked last podcast a lot about Cubs-Rockies at Wrigley. We talked about that Ricky Gutierrez game back in 2001. It's amazing if you think about it. So the Colorado Rockies have the worst road record in baseball coming into Wrigley Field. At that point, the Cubs had a franchise record 13-game home losing streak. So what breaks there, right? The team that can't win on the road or the team that can't win at home and hadn't won a ball game at home since July 26th. Cubs win it in dramatic fashion on Monday night. Rafael Ortega, a player we talked about extensively last week, hit a bomb to right field, a well-struck ball over the fence, walk-off home run. It was a very fun moment, right? I've seen a lot of Colorado Rockies games living out here. I've been following that team very closely. For Rafael Ortega, who made his major league debut for the Rockies back in 2012, Battles in the minor leagues for a decade, gets back to the majors. That's a damn cool moment. And what's a brutal season, a difficult season, that was awesome. And it was very cool. I felt great for him, for him to have that moment. Ronan, as I described it uh, on Twitter, as this, this series started, it's the stoppable force versus the movable object. And I suppose <laughs> it, in this case, the, the movable object came out on top. Uh, to what you said about Rafael Ortega, because the internet remains undefeated. Uh, as he hit that walk-off home run, people dug up the Rockies team account tweet from the night he made his major league debut. And there was a photo of Rafael Ortega in their clubhouse, taking a picture of the lineup card with his name on it using a Blackberry. So that, that gives you a little bit of an idea of how long ago he made that debut. <laughs> and people, people were responding to them going, gosh, I hope he's a good player for you guys. So th that's the sort of chicanery that happens in a season like this with two bad teams playing. Yeah, it was, it was 2012. So that's a long time ago, 10 years ago. Absolutely. Um, very, very fun, though. Did you happen to catch the quote from Michael Hermosillo after the ball game? I um, mean, if you didn't, he said, basically, I didn't know we had a theme song. You didn't know about Go Cubs Go. Which is wasn't where they did it. And I think that that's very funny that that was his introduction to it following that game Monday but night. He, he talked all about about how he's such a huge Cub fan. And he growing I, up and how his favorite players are Derek Lee and Ramos Ramirez is the picture of him at Wrigley. And like now, to be fair, I didn't really know about Go Cubs Go. I feel like till 03 
Like that's when it really kind of gotten really big into the Cubs, you know, playing after wins and stuff. But I'm like, Hermosillo, if you claim to be this huge Cubs fan, how do you not know Go Cubs Go? You know, um, they they do they didn't start playing Go Cubs Go after every win until I want to say 2007 or so. And, you know, Hermosillo probably busy graduating high school, playing college sports, getting drafted, things like that. So we can probably forgive him for not being uh, terribly up on the, the game day, the game day customs. But it is pretty funny that the guy's been in the minor league system uh, this whole this whole season. He he played for the, the organization in spring training and they play Go Cubs Go at Sloan Park. So it is kind of funny that he has so little experience winning with the Cubs that he exhibited surprise that we do have a victory theme song. Well, I I, I don't think uh, I mean, Hermosillo probably didn't graduate high school till the early 2000s, probably when that picture of the Blackberry of Ortega was taken. Because I know he was a Tim Beckman recruit at Illinois and 07 is Ron Zook, Rose Bowl, baby. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I just feel like he's got to know. I mean, I could see him being in Iowa not knowing, but uh, that's crazy. You know, I saw that photo and I, I really should be looking at it again before I make a comment like this. But in looking at the photo, I thought it was the 2002 season. If And does that make sense timeline-wise? And the reason why I said it is because the screens – were in the fence beyond the outfield in the bleachers. And that was installed between the 2001 and 2000. You're talking about the Hermosillo photo, the Hermosillo photo. Okay, I yeah. think you're talking about the Ortega photo at first. No, 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 no. I'm talking about Hermosillo. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, it is possible that when that really became a thing at Wrigley field, he was into other things with high school oh, ball, prep ball. And yeah, he probably was like stuff. 14 at that time. But we were, I know we were wondering what the date was. And I looked at the photo again after the last podcast and um, it's been a week or so, but I, I remember at the time saying 2002 made sense because the screens that were blocking out the rooftop views. If you remember the fighting that was taking place back then between the Cubs or well, the Tribune and the rooftops. And now Ricketts owns all the rooftops and for the most part. They wanted the balloons, but they, they wanted balloons. That. They wanted American flags. If you remember after nine 11, that would block out the view from the rooftops. Um, it ended up working out. Those screens were terrible. But it ended up working out, and I thought it was a great quote, though, from Michael Hermosillo. Um, yesterday, rain out, some nasty weather moved into the Chicago area right around first pitch. It washed out the ball game, and that set up today a split doubleheader. As we know, split doubleheaders are seven inning games. Game one today, wonderful moment for Patrick Wisdom. Randall hits the three-run home run. He's really been an interesting case this year. Great power, tons of home runs. A lot of strikeouts as well. What a high moment for him, though. Yeah, it, you know, this is a guy who spent a lot of season uh, in the a lot of seasons in the minor leagues. You know, this is his first real shot at playing a full season or most of a full season with a major league club, and he's he's taking great advantage of it. Um, you know, I'm sure he wishes he were contributing maybe to a team with greater aspirations, but that's certainly not on him. Um, yeah, it, it's it's great, and you know, he's. I would argue his candidacy perhaps for a, a postseason award is one of the few things, the few ongoing storylines with this team right now. So every time he hits another home run, every time he does something good, he's, he's helping that candidacy. And you know that you can do that, I guess, without hurting your draft position, the all important draft position. So it, it's good for him. It's good to watch him do that. Totally. And we are going to deep dive into his rookie of the year candidacy in a minute. Um, also Zach Davies, uh, Pitching a competitive ball game earlier today. I thought that was very good to see. Jeremy, you're out at the ballpark tonight. You sent us a picture about 20 minutes before first pitch. It was 
empty. I mean, empty. And I was complaining at you going, move up, dude. You're like 12 rows up in the bleachers. Go up another eight rows or so. You moved up. You were out there tonight. That game just didn't want to end. It ended up in a Cubs loss. But uh, what was it like out at the ballpark tonight? It was weird. It was one of the weirdest games I'd say I had ever been to, honestly. Um, it was empty and it never really filled. It filled in a little bit. You know, I did move up. Obviously, more people were sitting up closer. So it was a little more, uh, you know, packed, I guess, in the front couple rows, if you want to use the word packed. But not only was it empty, it was just quiet. It was crazy, you know, being a, a, a 530 start, which is not start time to begin with True. A, a makeup day from yesterday, the rain that seemingly came in the third, fourth inning and never really let up. Um, so it was just raining the whole time. It, it was just weird. And it, I like, I, I enjoy going to games. I enjoy, you know, sometimes you just want to be by yourself and watch a game in the quiet and whatever. That's fun. But being at Wrigley when it's just empty and quiet, was just a really weird experience. And I've been there, like, you know, games have gone to 1am and stuff like that. And it's been like that, but like at six, seven o'clock, it's, it's really weird. And so watching that game was just odd. And it, it, like I said earlier, it just never, as you said, it just never wanted to end. It just kept going. And I thought they would call it because it just seemed like it was coming down pretty good. It's a getaway day, you know, just whatever, like, but they never did. And, and that weird, odd game just kept going and it was fun. It was a fun experience, especially towards the end, but uh, it was just a weird, odd game to be at. I bet uh, what was interesting from my perspective too, is that, I don't pay for cable television here in Colorado. I'm a streamer. I watch the Cubs on MLB TV. So when the Cubs play the Rockies at Wrigley, I'm blacked out. I'm radio only. So it was sort of an old school day for me as well. The TV was completely off for me. I had the ball game going on MLB radio. And one thing that stood out to me is Pat, who had a really good night and give it to him. That's a champ. He's been calling Cubs baseball since 1996. He's been through highs and lows. Must have been a difficult day for him a long time out of the ballpark. He had a wonderful broadcast this evening, very into the game, very entertaining game, but you could hear the defeat in his voice, you know, as the game was going on, but something that really stood out is he was commending the fans that were there standing up, cheering, clapping very much in the ball game. That made me a little bit homesick today. If I were in Chicago, that is 100% a ball game. I would have been outside at, did you get the sense the fans that were there, Jeremy wanted to be there. And because of it, they were obnoxious. They were loud. That's the impression I got listening to Pat tonight. Uh, he towards the end. Yeah, but not really, honestly, for like the first five, six, seven innings or so it really, I, it was just kind of people that were like the guys in front of me were three kids that are three dudes. that were just like, Oh, we just bought tickets for eight bucks. And it was like, like, they weren't even expecting to go. They didn't even like know it was like a double makeup, double header game. They thought it was like, it's so like, they kind of weren't into it really. And then there was like, there was one Colorado guy in front of me who kind of was into it. And then there was like this group of like, 21 year olds right behind me other than that like nobody was really into the game it was kind of that's why I was like it was kind of weird that it was just a, a weird experience because like everybody around me was quiet they weren't really like nobody was really like if I was in the bleachers there was nobody really like drinking nobody was kind of partying there wasn't a party atmosphere it was just kind of everybody was just there having their own quiet conversations with like a baseball game in the background for the first you know, towards the end, once like it started becoming, OK, the seventh, eighth inning extras. Yeah, it got a little crazy. It got like people are still there. They're adult, the people that were left were really rooting. But I, it was just a really weird experience for the first five, six innings. And the game certainly was weird, too. But yeah. Randall, what do you got? 
You know, I, I feel like everybody who's been attending Cubs games for as long as we have, uh, as long as, you know, as long as a lot of people have, I feel like everybody's got one good, at least one good game story like this. You went to a makeup game or you went to a game that was delayed uh, hours or, or had a, a long delay in the middle of the game. And you end up being at Wrigley really late. You end up being at Wrigley in, in bad weather conditions. You end up at a kind of an empty Wrigley. But when that happens, I, what I do like is that the fans kind of fill that void. You, you make, you know, I'm, I'm going to quote Rogue One here, make 10 men feel like 100. Um, you know, they, they kind of step up to fill that void. And they did that a little bit tonight. There was a great camera shot. And I guess neither of you would have seen this because Jeremy was at the game. Ronan did not have a TV broadcast. There was a great camera shot late in the game. Patrick Wisdom was taking an at-bat in which he had a chance to end the game. He didn't, obviously. Um, but just prior to that, they had cleared the seating bowl due to lightning in the area. And as Wisdom was taking his at-bat, they had cleared the fans to return to the seating bowl. And so you've got this great camera shot of Patrick Wisdom at the plate taking his at-bat. And behind him are fans streaming back down from underneath the concourse. And that's just one of that those great, weird, idiosyncratic camera shots you get in a game this weird. So, you know, We've talked all the time about trying to find some kind of meaning in this season, trying to find something to enjoy. That's one of the things that you can enjoy, win or lose. You can enjoy the weird circumstances around a game, and you can enjoy the weird thing that happens, that, that the weird things that happen in a game. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, perfectly said there, Randall. And I'm starting to get a little bit of that season's coming to an end anxiety. Like, I don't want another offseason, especially an offseason where we know there's going to be labor strife. But Jeremy, I'm a bit surprised by your response. And maybe it is a testament to Pat Hughes's craftsmanship, his ability to take a bad Cubs team and make it a really engrossing and engaging broadcast. And certainly the fans in those prime seats in the upper deck in front of the press box, maybe it was a different environment there too than what you get out in the bleachers. So your experience is different, even depending on where you're sitting in the ballpark. But I really had a good time today, both games, listening to Pat Hughes, getting those broadcasts in. It was almost a perfect day and the Cubs almost won both games, but I have one complaint because I always have a complaint and I got to get those off my chest. I mentioned this to both of you via chat earlier today. I am totally done. We're going to rag on Zach Zaidman again. I'm totally done with the unnecessary over-the-top cackling that he does at every little pun that Pat Hughes throws at Ron, like a subtle little joke, maybe a chuckle at it, then out of the background, because he needs to insert himself into the broadcast, you hear him with the fakest, most insincere laugh. It drives me nuts. It takes away from the Pat Hughes experience. Zach Zaidman, week two of Ronan telling you how to do your job. Please stop cackling. Nobody needs that. It doesn't add to the broadcast. Fair? Fair. Very fair. Ronan, the Zaidman background cackle is legendary among people who listen to a lot of Cubs radio. And I agree it, it, on maybe on the slightest level, it, it's kind of endearing as kind of a game. Like you hear Pat say something to Coomer and you're like, oh, we're going to get a cackle out of this. And then you hear that that scarecrow like noise in the background. So it, it adds nothing, but it's it's entertaining to try and parse out when you're going to get the cackle. It's the sort of thing you could place wagers on. I know you're a big betting guy. Um, but yeah, Zaidman, <laughs> Zaidman, it's, it's, it's rough with him. If you know, he wants to engineer the broadcast. He wants to keep score in the, the Binnie's beverage depot attendance game, very competitive between Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer and chime in occasionally. That's fine. We all know his inning of play-by-play -play is among the roughest 15, 20 minutes of radio you'll find on any frequency. 
Yeah, the, the background cackle is a little much. You know, it's funny once per broadcast, but every time Pat does the the, the Des Moines bit about the, the S is silent and the city buzzing and then adding his own buzzing sound effect. And it's always followed by Zabin cackling in the background. It's rough. I agree. And I never even got that, Ronan. All right. And Rand, I meant Randall. Uh, you know, you guys were making fun of me because I don't listen to the Cubs on the on the radio that much. But that the void thing, I had no idea about that bit. It, it's it's an enduring bit. Pat Hughes loves the S's are silent, but the city is buzzing. And then kind of off to the side, he'll go. Bzz, bzz. There you go. You can hear him buzzing right now. It's it, it's such a Pat Hughes joke that you can't be mad at it. We've got so many like regional ads now that have crept their way into Cubs radio broadcasts over the last few years. I certainly prefer it to the Village of Bedford Park or Randall. What are these other ones? That I knew that New one. Lenox. Been rolled out these last few years. You know, I actually had to work in the Village of New Lenox this summer for a okay. Saturday afternoon, and the entire time I, I had to stop myself from laughing that because I was in the Village of New Lenox, thinking about the the fast and efficient permitting process, being close to a water supply and and railways. The entire time I had to, have to stop <laughs> myself from chuckling just because it's so prevalent. I think Illini legend James Augustine is from New Lenox. So I'm okay. going to throw that out there. I've had some good times in New Lenox actually over the years, um, but it always felt like we were driving to Iowa when we were heading down there. And yeah, no disrespect to the folks who listen to this podcast that live out there. Um, it just felt that way um, coming exist. up from up north. Um, they do exist. We, we've had a lot of fun checking in the different parts of the country where people different parts have of the world. In. Yeah, it's a better way of putting it, Jeremy, the people who've tapped into our broadcast uh, all across the coasts here in the United States, um, all over the Morton Grove area. So oh, yeah. Randall's a local fan base there. Out there we've in St. Charles. We've had hits from uh, Dubai. We've had hits in Dubai. We've had hits across Asia. Behind the yellow line, folks, popping yeah. up, man. We're going worldwide, Randall. We qualify as an international phenomenon at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about another phenomenon here. Patrick Wisdom. He has had a very fun season here for the Chicago Cubs. We mentioned the game-winning home run. He hit earlier today in the game one victory against the Colorado Rockies. And before you know it, he's at two war already this year on fan graphs. He's putting together a really nice season with 20 home runs. We've talked about the strikeout rate being high at 40%. But our buddy Ryan, speaking of St. Charles, reached out to us last night. And he said, what do you guys think? Patrick Wisdom. Rookie of the year. Jeremy, you chimed in first. You said, nah, I think it's going to be Jonathan India, the Cincinnati Reds. Randall, you echoed that thought as well. I threw another name into the mix, the Marlins left-hander Trevor Rogers, who I thought was actually a Cy Young candidate until his last couple of starts, which has sort of faded for him a bit. My question to you, and Jeremy, I want you to start with this. Can you foresee a September where Patrick Wisdom does enough that he can earn himself a rookie of the year here in the National League? I mean, it's possible he's got to go off and probably go off like he did when he first came up with the Cubs. Uh, you know, he scuffled the last month or so. And that's to me where Jonathan India kind of really, you know, took the hold of it because I did think for a while that Patrick Wisdom was in the rookie of the year conversation and nobody was really talking for him. But every time, you know, it just seemed like India never really kind of backed off. And then the Reds got hot. And I just feel like if the Reds do make the playoffs that he's probably the guy, you know, especially he's out there every day. He's, he's a major contributor. He's an, I think it's easier for an offensive player to win rookie of the year than a pitcher uh, who's struggling on the mark. Not to say that Trevor Rogers isn't deserving. He's right up there, probably equal to Jonathan India. I just think India is uh, more likely. Um, 
So, yeah, I just, you know, he's got to go off. I think you said what, like a Sammy Sosa 20 homer month in September. But I don't know if he needs that. But I mean, if he, sure. he does that, he'll probably win it. But he, he's got to have a big, you know, uh, end of the season. And the strikeout rate's high. He, he had the, the big homer earlier today. But uh, and I'm actually surprised at how well he's played defensively. I thought that would be more of a, you know, a, a weakness for him. But he's played really well. But, yeah, he's in the conversation. Uh, you know, he could be one of those top three guys. I think Randall mentioned that in the text. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Jeremy. I think the way they do the awards now where they announce three finalists uh, a couple weeks in advance and then they don't around, announce the winner until later on. I think we probably have the three finalists picked out in India, Wisdom, and Rogers. Jeremy, of course, makes a great point. It's really difficult for a starting pitcher to win Rookie of the Year just because a position player is out there every day. Uh, a starting pitcher is only out there every five days. And if he has one bad outing, then that's, 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 you know, that's the voters perception until his next outing. Um, I am again, inclined to think that Jonathan India probably has the lead in voting or will have the lead in voting over uh, wisdom. I think the voters are probably inclined to favor uh, a player on a competitive team. The reds are still in a playoff hunt uh, with the, the Padres, all the talk about the Padres and they're, they're sure. fighting for a wild card too. Um, and I think the voters are also probably inclined to, I think, wait a, a good second baseman over an okay third baseman, maybe because of the perception that middle infield is harder to play, even though, as you said, uh, Wisdom's a great defender over at third base. And India also has Wisdom in uh, every statistic except for home runs. He has them in batting average, has them in on base. Wisdom has the edge in slugging. Their OPS right around the same. I'm inclined to think that India, it's probably India's to lose, but India could get injured. He could have a real rough September and Wisdom could really step up and make it uh, a much, much tougher choice for the voters. But I am inclined to think that if the current trends continue, it probably goes India, Wisdom, Trevor Rogers, one, two, three, in the voting. But uh, the great thing is there's another month left to play. We'll find out. And I think wisdom has something to play for in this final month of September. And that's improving his candidacy for rookie of the year. So all the best to him. Um, and maybe he can pull it out. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, Patrick wisdom is more than likely probably going to end up as the Chicago Cubs 2021 home run leader. And I yeah. think if you go back and check the early uh, behind the yellow lines, Nobody would have said that when Ronan was asking us who's going to lead the Cubs in home runs this year. I don't believe anybody said Patrick Wisdom. You know what I did say, though? 40 bombs for Jock Peterson. Talk about optimistic Ronan. I said Jock would lead him, too. Didn't exactly work out that way. Um, Did you see his ejection last night in Atlanta by any chance? Randall, did you have a chance to see Jock? Jock was um, called out on strikes on a ball that nearly hit him. And then he was ejected from the ball game for arguing with the umpire. He, he fell, Jeremy, would you say this is fair? He fell back from the plate while rotating the bat, but he was clearly getting out of the way of the ball. Home plate umpire says he swung. He argues it. Next thing you know, he's out of the ball game. And that was a big game between Atlanta and New York, two teams with long winning streaks. Yeah. And, and it, I don't think it was entirely clear whether the ball didn't hit the bat because uh, the ball might've hit the bat and Jock might've been arguing that as well. I know that's what Chip Carey uh, thought it was happening. And yeah, it was, you know, and Jock, I mean, Jock, I don't know what he said because it seemed like he was kind of ejected after saying something, Um, but he did throw his helmet. He did throw his gloves and the ump kind of 
let those go. Although I did think I might have made a, a motion towards like when he threw his helmet, because sometimes they just like they'll like find a guy for doing something like that and they'll like mark it. And I think the up might have done that. But he kind of was like letting him go for a while. And then it was weird because Jock got ejected when it seemed like he wasn't really doing anything. He doesn't. It was like well after he threw his helmet, well after he threw his glove. But and then he went back and got some more from the, the umpire's face. But yeah, it was a really weird uh, play because you could have argued it was either a hit by pitch, which I don't think it was. I do think it might have been a foul tip or or it was just, you know, a ball that got by. And I don't think he swung at it. So it was really weird. It's a clip worth looking up. If you haven't seen it, hop out on Twitter, type in Jock Peterson ejection. It was a very strange play. That's safe to say. Yeah. And he's playing with Holer. uh Jorge Soler. So there's a couple ex Cubs down there in Atlanta playing the outfield. I was having some fun too watching that ball game last night. Yankees Braves. Great ball game. Both teams had 10 game winning streaks. Bottom of the ninth inning. Braves down two. Bases loaded two outs. What's the matchup, Randall? Aroldis Chapman, Jorge Soler. I was having the time of my life watching that. Ended up with a walk. Uh, Yankees end up winning that ball game. And how about this stat, Randall? This really surprised me. That is the first. 11-game winning streak for the New York Yankees since 1985. Those great teams they had in the late 90s, World Series titles in 96, 98, 99, 2000, never won 11 games in a row. That blew my mind. Yeah, that, that's crazy. You know, the Yankees have had some really good teams since 1985. We, we don't think about that. Like, what's the longest winning streak that a team had in a given season? And, you know, you, you let that go for enough years and you get a great stat like that. So that is pretty crazy. Yeah, and that 98 team you mentioned, they won 114 games, which at the time was the American League record for most wins. So for them not to have an 11-game win streak is kind of crazy. Cubs had a 12-game winning streak back in 2001, yeah. and we'll talk about that a little bit later in a future edition of the show, but I definitely want to highlight that 2001 team here. Um, Cubs are back on the road here. It's a tough road trip. I think everything about this is yikes. Three games on the south side this weekend, three games is it three games against the Twins? I, I didn't confirm that. Two. Thank you, Randall. You're always looking out for me. He is He's the great defensive player behind me. When I bobble the ball, he picks it up, makes the play at first, and saves the inning. So behind the every great side, man is a great Randall. That's a fantastic, fantastic point, Jeremy. Randall, we've got some weather this weekend, starting on the south side. What do our buds at Cubs Weather have for us? Well, of course, I have to fulfill my role as the, the great Randall behind the, the great show. As always, Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather, nice enough to provide us with a weather forecast for these two upcoming series on the road. The series vibe for the series, uh, quote unquote, on the road, of course, on the south side of Chicago. And Alexander writes, as Puff Daddy once said, we ain't going nowhere. Neither is this Cubs team geographically or metaphorically. The Cubs are staying in town, and so is this, and again, I quote, late summer crab boil of heat and humidity and daily chances at, again, I'm quoting here, pop-up creepers with heavy rain potential, much like this current Cubs Rocky series. Though I'd expect overall, I being Alexander, of course, more dry than not. He would pick Saturday if he were going to head out to a game this weekend, Saturday having the least chance for rain. Friday night, a 7.10 p.m. Central Time start, temperatures in the mid-80s, steamy with a chance for a thunderstorm, light breeze to the left field side. Saturday, a 6.10 p.m. start Central Time, temperatures right around 90 to start with a slight chance for a thunderstorm and again another breeze to the left field side. And then finally, Sunday, 1.10 p.m., a day game, temperatures in the upper 80s with a chance for a thunderstorm. 
Then the Cubs actually go on the road to Minnesota, and he describes the vibe as hoping the Cubs can find a gap in what has been a pretty active pattern up north as of late, and it looks like they could. The reward will be a nice september early fall air mass, comfortable humidity, and a slight chance for showers each game. Uh, he recommends tickets to either game with this, and I quote, gourmet, gorgeous air mass in place. Tuesday and Wednesday night are both 7, 10 p.m. Central time starts, and the forecast is about the same for both games. Temperatures at game time in the low 70s, falling to the mid-60s, comfortable humidity with a slight chance for a shower, and light winds in from right field. And I can tell you that after boiling and soaking the last week here in Chicago, that sounds positively delightful. The mechanics of meteorology usually mean that uh, the air mass in Minnesota will get here eventually, and I hope it does so sooner versus later because it is nasty here right now. So again, that is weather from our friend Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather. He runs the Cubs Weather account with two other individuals. You can find him on Twitter, at Alexander Hall, and you can find the uh, account Cubs Weather, at Cubs Weather, uh, especially on nights like this. Great about posting close-up radars of Wrigley, giving you an idea of whether there might be a delay incoming or whether they might play on. So we, of course, recommend following all those accounts, as always, just as you can follow us on Twitter, at BTYL Podcast. Yeah, and definitely, Randall, I definitely used at Cubs Weather last night because I was looking at the weather, I was looking at a bunch of things, and I was like, I don't think this game's going to get played. And so I didn't ever actually head out to Wrigley last night because I was very confident that things were not coming in, and, and Cubs Weather was one of my sources I was looking at. Absolutely. Cubs weather, a positively indispensable resource. If you are considering going to Wrigley and curious about the weather, and we are very lucky to have Alexander able to contribute weather to us uh, on a regular basis. So do follow at Cubs weather run by Alexander, Andrew and Colin. We recommend it very highly. Absolutely. Thanks for the weather. And Alexander, we've been thinking about you, man. Uh, we know you've been dealing with severe weather there in New York. I saw a stat here since June 1st, Central Park has gotten nearly two feet of rain and Brooklyn got dumped on the other day too when Henry was rolling through up there. So hope you're staying safe, Alexander. We're excited to get you back on the podcast here soon, but take care of things in New York there. Do what you got to do. Um, we'll get you on here and we're going to keep this podcast going. It doesn't end when the season ends. There is no season end, Randall, to baseball. It is a year round, year to year for the whole life something that means a lot to us and we're going to keep this thing going because there's a lot to talk about all off season. I tell you what I do in the off season when there's no baseball, I look out the window, I wait for the spring and then I grab my USB microphone. I put in my earbuds and I talk about it into the computer with you gentlemen. With a bunch of uh, jackasses, you talk with us and we have a good time with it though, Randall. And we appreciate you uh, working with Alexander to get that weather to us. We want to look ahead a little bit here. We're going to have all winter to talk about free agency, but where we sit here today on August 25th, and I got to say something because it is August 25th, the happiest of birthdays to our buddy, Mike Vanderharst, a loyal listener here of the podcast, a longtime friend. He's been in many, many Cubs games for us. He's now in the year of the wood, big 34th birthday. Hope he's having a good night tonight in Providence, but we're thinking about him. That's great for him. I'm also, I got to put this out there. I guarantee Mike right now tonight, sitting in Providence, listening to number 34 by the Dave Matthews Band, and just having a moment there. He's been to many, many, many shows over the years, and I'm looking forward to getting back out to Alpine Valley with you next year, Mike. We're going to have a good time. I have to ask, is there any swaying involved as he listens to that? Mike and I have swayed many, many times at many, many shows, and I like to think tonight 
he, he's a beer man. He likes his beer. He's having a nice beer right now. He's swaying and he's listening to number 34, celebrating this momentous day for him. Swaying to some uh, nothing man at uh, an Alpine show once. Uh, but also, I bet Mike had a big night the other night when they were, what was it, WWE SummerSlam? I bet he was all over that. He was all over that, and he's kind of cheating on WWE. I know he's really AEW? getting to the AEW, which had a big night in Milwaukee the other day. So, Randall, I know you love wrestling talk. We'll get into more of that in another edition of the show, but let's talk free agency right now. Where we stand today, when you look at the free agent market, there was a story today that it's more than likely that Nick Castellanos is going to opt out, head to free agency. Who comes to mind for you right now, or who's a name that you're like, I really want the Cubs to make an aggressive move at this person who could help the team win next season? Well, for me, that's easy. If Castellanos is going to opt out, I think you need to revisit signing him in free agency. I think not keeping him was a mistake. He seemed to give every indication that he wanted to stay with the Cubs. He loved his time here after leaving, you know, a not particularly competitive situation in Detroit. I think if he does opt out, you need to revisit bringing him back in. I think that would do great things for the clubhouse. And I think he's the kind of hitter profile that would improve this offense. He's a guy who hits for a high average. He hits for power. He makes contact. He doesn't walk a whole lot, which is maybe the only thing you can ding him on. I think he's the kind of offensive profile you would want to re-add to this team if you are really serious about competing again in a short window. So if he's really going to opt out, and if there's one thing I can use less than free agency rumors in the winter, it's free agency rumors in August. But if he does, in fact, end up opting out, I think you need to do everything possible to revisit resigning him. Yeah, I would be surprised if he doesn't opt out. I mean, he's having a monster year. You know, he, he should be able to make a lot more money than he did the last time he was a free agent. And if he has the opportunity to opt out, it, it would surprise me that if he wouldn't. Uh, it's going to be funny this uh, offseason because it seems like the entire free agent class is all ex-Cubs. Um, you're going to have Castellanos. You're going to have Schwarber, probably. You're going to have, obviously, the three guys the Cubs just trade away. More than that, actually. Uh, Peterson, you know, and, 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 you know, other guys along those lines. But to me, it, I, I think it all comes down, you know, the Cubs have a lot of holes, but. I, I, they're going to need to fill that shortstop spot. And there's so many shortstops out there. I don't know if there'll be a player for like a Carlos Correa, but you got Corey Seager out there, you know, Trevor story. They talked about, I'm not sure how high I am on Trevor story, but he's a guy, obviously Baez, you know, uh, who's been struggling a little bit in New York, but uh, you know, I, if they can make a play for Correa or, or Seager or somebody, and then you bring in, because they have so much money. It's, it's crazy how much money they have. You bring in a Cassianos type who's actually gotten better in the outfield. I think, you know, he doesn't, he's still not a great defender, but he, he's seemingly making more of the routine plays that he struggled with in the past. And if he can make the routine plays, then he's, he's not going to make great plays, but he, you know, I could buy into more of bringing him back in, especially since we don't quite have the log jam. We did when they let him go, when you had Schwarber, you had Hayward, you had Hap, you had, there was a whole bunch of guys there and now it's like, okay, we're kind of, now we have holes. So, you know, those are, I, I think, and, and the interesting one will be the pitcher, but I, I think yeah. shortstop is really kind of where I would focus. You know, I, I'm a little weary of Corey Seager. I think long-term he ends up at third base, watching him play defense, watching the, watching the range. I think long-term he may end up at third base. I'd be a little weary of bringing him in to play shortstop, but at the same time, if you're going to, if the Cubs are going to pony up the money to bring him in, I'm fine with that, pay him and then sort out the defensive positioning later. 
an interesting or maybe not so interesting name uh, I'd like to see the Cubs go after, I think would be Javi again, because he's going to be real hard to figure on this free agent market. He uh, he's struggling a little bit with the Mets right now, just as he did with the Cubs when he was here. He's had some injury issues with the Mets. He just came off the injured list this past weekend. He's going to be real difficult to figure because that ineffectiveness with the Mets and those injuries are going to compound what was already a difficult free agent contract to parse out for him from everything else we know about him. So I think there could be a scenario where Baez takes a one-year deal, maybe from the Cubs, to hopefully have a full, healthy, productive season and then hit free agency again a year later. And I think with the Cubs ostensibly looking to start Nico Horner at shortstop and Nick Madrigal at second base, I think you could bring Javi in. You could play him at third base. We've seen him do it plenty before. He's great at it. You can rotate him into shortstop when Nico needs time off, or you can put him at shortstop every day, move Nico around a little bit. I think there would be a fit there, and I think it'll depend a lot on how the free agent market develops for him. As far as the player and the person, you know what Javi is, you know what he's been to this team. You don't have to worry about that at all. It would be an old friend coming home after a little bit of time away. So I'm curious to see how the free agent market develops for him. And I think there could potentially be a fit there in bringing Javi back if you make enough changes to the rest of the offense that you're not counting on Javi to shoulder a lot of the load. Yeah, you rely on the defense. You know you're going to get some power there. And I think Javi would do well with sort of the comfort that he'd have at Wrigley Field and with this fan base. This is a fan base that's very forgiving of him, and, and for obvious reasons. He's a World Series hero. He's been an electric player to watch over the years. But you're starting to see things turn a little bit in New York. He's had some um, difficult plays. Today, getting doubled off second base on a line drive to center. Last night, he had maybe the worst swing of the season. He was clearly guessing at the plate. He was thinking fastball. It ended up being a changeup. I think he missed the pitch by about eight feet. He was done finishing his swing and the ball hadn't even gotten to home plate yet. So it's been uncomfortable watching him struggle in New York and maybe he will bet on himself and say, you know what, let me go back to Chicago for a year. I know how to make it work there. This team is trending in the up direction again. I want to be a part of that. I'm going to bet on myself to have a monster year and get the type of contract I deserve. Yeah. It, you know, it, oh, sorry, Randall. You know, the ironic thing is the, the at bat in which he took that swing you just mentioned actually ended in a walk. Of all so, things. <laughs> yeah. So there's probably a joke there about, you know, judging a whole plate appearance from the one very publicized and very visible pitch. But yeah, you know, the, the comfort factor, you can't put a dollar amount on that. So I'm really curious to see how Javi's free agent market develops this year. And I would hope that he and the Cubs parted amicably enough that they would both give each other the time of day in having those discussions. Yeah, I think that for any of the ex-Cubs, really, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know, they had some discussions at some point. I don't, I don't know how likely it is any of them come back, but I, I do think they all parted uh, amicably enough, as you say, where they probably will have some discussions in the offseason, have some talks. I don't know if anything serious comes of it, but Javi, Javi's going to be tough. Like, you know, he's struggling a lot right now. He's he's it's just like, how do you there's the we just talked about the shortstop market. There's three other guys that you probably would rate ahead of him. I mean, I don't know about Trevor story, but the Seager and Correa, you definitely would put ahead of Javi, I think. Um, and for me, I, I just think the Cubs need a shortstop. I, I don't think you can go into next year with Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal Great. as you're up the middle guys. I, I, I don't have a problem with them being in the lineup, you know, maybe hitting one, two, but I, I could see Nico, you know, moving to the outfield. Uh, I don't think he doesn't, I don't know if he's necessarily the guy to have at shortstop, um, you know, so I just think you, you get a shortstop, you, you get 
an outfielder, I think for your plan, you, you got to make a move for some starting pitching and then maybe you can get like a, a decent first baseman. Somebody I know will probably go into more like a CJ Crone is not a great player, but if you're upgrading a lot of other positions, uh, CJ Crone would be, a, would be a, a, if he can, you know, give you like a one to two war season, that's a pretty significant upgrade over whatever direct they're throwing out right now. You know, that's another win or two. And plus, and if you can really upgrade other positions, then that would help. So, you know, I, I think there's, there's, it's going to be a, a interesting offseason because there's just so many holes. So they have so much work to do. They have so much money and they continuously claim Crane Kenny's out there on the radio. Jed Hoyer's out there on the radio every single day. This is not a long-term rebuild. We are looking to compete as soon as we possibly can. They are saying that they didn't say this with Theo came in. They said, it's going to be a long process. Like we just hope the fans are behind us. It's going to be a long-term thing. We're not they're, Now they're really going out there and they're saying that. So I expect them this off season to go out there and make some major moves. I don't expect them to put together a 95 win team, but I expect them to go out there and put together a team that, that shows that they're planning on competing. They're planning on spending some money and they're planning on, you know, winning some ball games next year. Jeremy, that's a great point. Javi is not only going to hit what is going to be a difficult to predict free agency for him. He's also going to do it at the same time as two other premier guys at his position. I think Correa is probably the big fish in this group. And I think Seager is definitely ahead of Javi. Um, and another point is Nico has not played shortstop for the big league club every day since the end of the 2019 season. He of course came up because uh, the Cubs first and second string shortstops both got hurt. And that team was still in contention until very late in the season. And he's rehabbing his injury right now. He came out of his rehab game over the weekend because it seemed like he might've re-injured his oblique. And I guess the Cubs determined that wasn't the issue, but they're still going to take it slow with him. It's very real possibility that Nico doesn't come back until mid-September. And, you know, then you face the question of is two weeks enough time to properly evaluate whether Horner can be your starting shortstop going forward. So that might be another great reason to bring Javi back is you're just not ready to hand the keys to that position to Nico. And as we've talked about too, we got to keep Nico healthy as much as anything and see what you've got there. A guy, you can't go into next year, I think, with a guaranteed role or anything for Nico. He's got to go into spring training. He's got to be versatile, able to play multiple positions. And then he's going to work himself in the lineup because we do know he's a very competent hitter and he adds this element to the team that the Cubs are really valuing right now. Contact, getting on base. Uh, but there's no guarantees there. And I think center field is Jeremy, the way to go there with Nico. I think that would be a nice spot for him earn that spot in spring training next year, and then see what happens when Brendan Davis is ready to go and, and see how the rest of the team plays out. What Nick Madrigal is going to do in the infield every day next year is certainly going to be worth watching. Yeah. Um, and I got another I'll, name. Go for it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Before I was we gonna move say, on, just talking about the outfield. Well, I was, I was just going to say also talking about, you know, you're talking about center field, like they're going to have to make a decision on Ian half next year as well. Like, what's going on there and it's been horrible that to me has been the biggest heartache or frustration of this season you think this guy's ready for an all-star type season he's going to break out everything is trending in that direction another monster spring and it's been bad it's been very very bad and we're pulling for ian happ you're absolutely right this is what we kind of I don't know if we worried about this, but it's like, okay, now he's going to crush it in September. We're going to spend all winter saying Ian Hab's got it. He's the guy next year's the all-star. He's going to kill it in Mesa. 
And then who knows what happens when April rolls around, but we're pulling for him. I mean, I, th- there are not many players on the Cubs. I want to see be successful as much as Ian Happ. And to me, I think it kind of sucks that he got introduced to the Cubs in 2017. So he just missed the world series. He was part of the, the aura after it. He's been on multiple playoff teams, but he didn't get the ring for being a part of the big league team. And now he's going through a difficult rebuild and he's struggling as that rebuild is going. So I, I feel unfortunate for what he's going through. And I just want to see him get out of this and maybe a good September is what he needs to make next year, that breakout year. You know, Ronan, you mentioned Nico in center field, Rafael Ortega, great story that he is, you know, a journeyman and finds his, his niche here. He has struggled mightily against left-handed pitching uh, this season and for his career to the tune of for his career for this season alone, he has a 200 on base percentage. He has hit 077. That's 0.077 against left-handed pitching Nico for his young major league career has hit left-handed pitching better. He's gotten on base at 340. He hasn't really slugged against them, but I'm wondering if maybe a platoon of Ortega and Horner in center field next year, that wouldn't be show stopping. It wouldn't be particularly flashy. Um, you, you wouldn't even pencil it in necessarily for great production, but I'm wondering if that could be a competent splitting of time uh, in that position. That would keep Nico in the lineup. That would keep Ortega from continuing to get exposed against left head and pitching if you think he's going to factor in. And those are two guys who are already in-house. And again, that would allow you to hopefully spend money on upgrading other positions. So Nico's versatility, I think, is going to play a big part in determining what role he'll have on this team next year. And it's very possible that if they bring in another shortstop, he might end up being kind of a Ben Zobris starting at three or four yeah. different positions in a week. So his versatility is going to make that a lot easier than if he were locked into shortstop or second base. Well, I've got another name I want to throw into the mix here, and this is not a free agent because something else the Cubs can't explore this offseason is trades with other teams. Guys that are coming up on free agency in the next couple of years, you've got the option to extend them and, and do the Lindor type thing like the Mets did. Also guys that are even a little bit older that maybe have one year left to see if they can help bridge the gap until this influx of Cubs prospects make their way up to Chicago. And a name that I at least want the Cubs to put a call in for is Robbie Grossman of the Detroit Tigers. And I think he could bring a couple of interesting things to the team. First off, not even the negative, but just the full transparency. He's going to be 32 years old next year. So this is not a guy that I think is in the long-term plans for the Cubs. But I think he can fill in a role in that he can play multiple outfield positions. He's owed only $5 million next year. He's got power. He's going to have a 20 home run season this year. He's got a chance at 20 stolen bases this year as well. But he's really good versus left-handed pitching, and he's a switch hitter. So he can hit some both sides of the plate. This year against lefties, and a pretty decent sample size, 166 plate appearances, 270, 376, with an OPS of 860. So a guy like that at just $5 million, the Tigers, while they're trending up, they've got a tough division there. The White Sox are going to be very competitive in the AL Central. Wild card is going to be very difficult to come out of the AL Central in the next few years. Maybe that's a guy the Tigers move. It wouldn't cost all that much. And I think he helps the Cubs next year. You can play him in the outfield. He's got some power. He's a switch hitter and he hits lefties. Someone I hope at least the Cubs put a call in for, as I don't think it would require a top prospect to bring someone like that in. Jeremy, you no doubt have a very salient response to this. I'm going to get my not so salient response out of the way. Can we as Chicago fans handle another Grossman in a number eight jersey? I'm just not <laughs> sure. Number R I'm just Grossman. not sure. Art Grossman. Another R Grossman. Exactly. I think I think we have to consider that at the very least. Uh, the pride of Bloomington, Indiana, Rex Grossman. 
But, uh, you know, you, you yeah, I, Robbie Grossman obviously was a big contributor to these uh, Oakland A's teams that uh, made the playoffs the last couple of years. So he's an interesting guy, as you mentioned. Uh, the AL Central next year, I think, is going to be a very interesting division because, as we know, the Tigers have kind of in the last month or two kind of really made a push. Uh, you know, they're playing a lot better. They're being very competitive. I, I don't I just can't imagine the twins are going to be as bad as they are. I think they're going to be a lot better. White Sox, obviously, they're going to be a good team more than likely next year. They're a good team right now. Um, and then, you know, I, the Indians, I think the Indians will be competitive. So that's going to be a tough division, I think next year, even looking at, it, I think it's going to be a very fun division. So what the Tigers want to do in that division when they're kind of on the up, up and up, I mean, they got a pretty good farm system. They got guys producing in the, uh, in the right now for them. Uh, you know, Tarek Skubal is a name. Uh, they had the, the Casey Mize, uh, they have Spencer Torkelson on his way up. So like, that's an interesting team and Rob, and maybe they could get a couple prospects back for a Robbie a guy who's on a one-year uh, deal. I, uh, you know, uh, Robbie Grossman could kind of help maybe the Cubs a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be an interesting name to check on. Uh, Jeremy, I'd like to point out the Indians are not going to do anything next season. They are, of course, becoming the Guardians. The Guardians. Yes, yes, you're right. So the the AL Central is losing one team and then gaining that team right back. Just a name, you know, throwing it out there. And, and we're going to do a lot of that over the next few weeks. And certainly once the offseason rolls around, let's pick a guy. Let's talk about him. Does he fit into the Knicks for the Cubs? Because, Jeremy, to your point earlier, they've got a ton of money to spend got a ton of holes to fill and one conversation that we'll hold off on until next week starting pitching the Cubs no doubt need to add at least one starter I think we'd all agree two should be the minimum going into next year so we'll throw out some names and think who might be a good fit on the north side next season Uh, but I, I agree Jeremy the Cubs are going to make this quick in terms of getting competitive I'm not saying next year is going to be a World Series contender but I do think the Cubs are going to have a roster that as the season goes on next year is going to get better And they're a team that will have a chance in the National League Central to compete for a division championship. There's a lot of talent in Milwaukee. You don't really know what's going on in St. Louis. We're going to talk about Yachty here in a moment. But um, the Cubs should be competitive next year with a lot of money to spend. The alternative, if they don't spend money, and I I really mean this because the Cubs do draw well in opening day and Cardinals games and Sox teams. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people there. But there's going to be a lot more games similar to tonight, maybe not as empty, But Tom Ricketts doesn't need another season of attendance going down, viewership going down. He's trying to make money off the marquee sports network. And to do that, they need to have a competitive product on the field. So with an encouraging farm with some pieces there, it's not like Wilson Contreras is a throwaway. This is a big time major league player that's in the heart of that lineup going into next year. There are some pieces there. Kyle Hendricks is a top of the rotation pitcher. What can they do to fill in those gaps? They're going to try to be competitive, I think, as soon as next season. And we get all winter to talk about it. Anecdotally, the season ticket waiting list is apparently hemorrhaging. It's just bleeding people. People have moved up tens of thousands of spots in the last month or so. And that's the sort of thing that hits the team's bottom line where it really hurts. And again, people can not trust that Ricketts wants to be competitive and that's fine, but you can absolutely trust that he wants to make money off of this team. And the best way to do that is to put a competitive team on the field. Cause if you start hemorrhaging uh, season ticket waiting list people and people just start moving up it, thousands of spots at a time, that's a sign that, that we are fleeing the sinking ship. So again, you don't necessarily trust that Ricketts wants to 
wants to make this team competitive, but absolutely trusts that as a, a rich team owner, he wants to make money off of this team. And the best way to do that is to put a competitive team on the field. You can still make money off of the Cubs as a non-competitive team. Our entire lives are a testament to that, but it's a lot easier to make money if you are at least trying to put a team on the field. Certainly. And Randall, that's a, a great point, but I got to be honest with you. I'm an idiot, and all I heard there was you saying the Cubs are hemorrhaging from their bottoms. And maybe that's true. It's been an ugly couple of months here. <laughs> Did you hear that, Jeremy? That's what I heard. I, I, I heard them hemorrhaging. I heard them, you know, I don't know if I heard the bottoms part necessarily, but I might have missed it. Well, he said bottom line, but oh. I heard bottoms. Okay. Uh, you, yeah. you have that great expensive headset, Ronan, but you still have such selective hearing. <laughs> well, I, I just want to say that, yeah, as Rand, Randall did say, like you can there's two ways to go with it. You can make money off the Cubs and you just don't spend any money and you keep everything cheap and then you're you can pull it out. But I think the fact that Ricketts spent, you know, a billion dollars as they were put on the, their plaque, you know, awarding themselves uh, that, you know, they spent a billion dollars in private money, not all the Ricketts, but a billion dollars of private money to to, you know, raise the money to to buy out all the Wrigley rooftops to to put all, you know, Gallagher way and everything and hotels, Zachary and marquee network, you know, that's not part of the development, but all this stuff is money they've spent. And the only way I think to, you know, really ratchet that up is to have a competitive team. You can't, you can't ratchet all that up and have a non-competitive team. Uh, so otherwise it's just a loss. So I think he's almost forced to spend money because he, in the only way to make money off all that is you have to spend money to have a competitive team. Well, that's what we hope. And we'll be tracking it. We'll be talking about it. And there's going to be a lot to discuss, uh, not just on the field, but as we alluded to last week, collective bargaining agreement, or as Randall said, the CBD, or I said it, and Randall put it with CBD, the collective bargaining disagreement that's looming here as uh, the agreement set to expire here in a couple of months. And, and we know that they're arguing about things. They're talking about salary floors. They're talking about lowering the, the threshold for the luxury tax and then taxing at a higher rate. A whole bunch of stuff that the average baseball fan doesn't give two craps about. People want baseball to be happening next year. Now, we care about that stuff. We've got a vested interest in seeing minor league players get paid and compensated more. We want to see major league players getting paid more. And we want to see more teams being competitive but we're going to have many, many weeks and months to get into that. Here's something talking about hemorrhaging from your bottom, Randall, St. Louis Cardinals, big news out of Missouri today. Yadier Molina saying he's got one more in him. He's playing for the Cardinals next year in the year of the Randall 2022. And then he's hanging it up. Yadier Molina has been a thorn in the Cubs side since 2004. Randall, what'd you make of the news today that next year, your year is his final year in the majors. Well, Ronan, you, you asked me, is it a personal shot at me? And the answer is yes. Everything Yadier Molina has ever done has been a personal <laughs> shot at me. Um, Mike Shoro, uh, a good friend of mine on Twitter, he is a reporter in a newspaper reporter in Las Vegas. He once described Yadier Molina as if 108 years was a person. And I don't know that I've ever heard him describe it more perfectly than that. So, you know, I know your intent here is to ask me, how do you feel about this? And, you know, I could take the high road here and say, gosh, I hate him, but he's a great player. I'll salute him on the way out. I'm not going to do that. Go to hell, Yachty. <laughs> I'm disappointed. That's I'm great, Randall. I I'm disappointed. Uh, I expected Yachty just keep signing one-year deals and 
hold the you know Cardinals kind of hostage for like 20 more years. Like I thought he, he wants to be the, the Tom Brady, the Tom Brady yeah, of baseball. Or the Brett Favre or whatever. It just keep coming back. Oh, you know, he would absolutely he would absolutely be the Brett Favre. Or he's like, Packers I don't are the Cardinals I, of the NFL. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to come back. Maybe I'll come back, you know, one more year. I, you know, because Yachty, yeah, I mean, he's getting old. He's not like I mean, he, his prime whenever he had his prime years, I think those are well behind him. He's not, you know, so I, I wouldn't mind, you know, if the Cardinals just want to keep spending $10 million on Yachty every year for the next 10 years, you know, whatever, keep putting them out there, keep seeing them hitting into 25 double plays a season, you know? So like, I'm all about that. You know, Jeremy, you said his prime years are behind him. The way he runs, his prime years might catch up to him again. Oh, wow. There's nothing like, there's <laughs> nothing like those camera shots where somebody fields a ground ball deep in the hole at short, they get the ball over to first and Molina's not even in the picture yet. Cause he's not far enough up the line or, you know, a double play from a, a difficult position to start it and turn it. And he, he still isn't anywhere close to beating it out. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's very Yachty or Molina to Jeremy, you said you're disappointed that he's not just going to keep the Cardinals in suspense. I don't think his ego is capable of doing that because if he, does that he's not going to give teams time to gear up and do this farewell tour. And now he's given them all notice. He's, you know, he sent out the invitations to his retirement party with this announcement. So now every team he visits for the last time next year, they'll present him with a, a sign, something they'll present him with a picture, whatever. When he comes to Wrigley, I got more than enough things to write down for him. I'll sign anything <laughs> he wants. As long as I get to choose the uh, message, I'll sign the number four from the scoreboard for him. Yep. I'll buy him a ticket out of town and I'll sign a photo of me flipping him the double bird. Oh, wow. Well, the Cardinals got the double birds on their Jersey. So, uh, you know, but are you, it right back. I was going to say, yep. I was going to say, you know, they're getting, are you going to be mad when the Cubs give him the number four from the no, scoreboard? I'm, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be mad when the Cubs do that. You've asked me in the past, am I mad when Javi, you know, is teammates with Molina on the world baseball classic? No, I'm not mad at that at all. Let the, let the organizations, let the players be classy and friendly with him. That's fine. I don't expect them to, to hate a fellow baseball player. Leave that to the complete meatheads like me. Like, leave that to me. Uh, Baez can point to Molina throwing him that great throw at second base, Javi with the no-look tag. The Cubs can, you know, grit their teeth for a day and give him the number four from the scoreboard. Absolutely let them be classy and let them be graceful. Leave the venom and leave the flipping the bird to me. I'm perfectly fine with that. We all have our roles to play. Mine happens to be telling Molina, don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's fantastic stuff, Randall. There's more than I was expecting from the segment here. I'll say this too: the baseball fan in me can appreciate a player staying in a city for their entire career, a career that's lasted that long as well, 2004 through 2022. And he's had longevity in a position that's very, very difficult to be a player at. So that's kind of the nice thing that I'm going to say about Yadier Molina here. One thing that I sort of wanted to see happen was him get into sort of an ugly relationship with the Cardinals here late where he wanted to keep going. The Cardinals didn't want him to keep going because we all knew where that was going to end up on the South side of Chicago with his old buddy, Tony La Russa as a backup catcher for the white Sox. And I wanted the joy of seeing Randall J Sanders watching a Cubs Sox game at Wrigley field with Yadier Molina up there in a pivotal moment, just to see the discomfort there. That's something that I think we missed out on, but you know, your whole year, your whole career with one team, 
doesn't really happen all that much anymore. So the Cardinals can enjoy that and enjoy them as their own. At least he's their own. He doesn't infect any other teams. You know, Ronan, you know what else has longevity at a given position? Cockroaches. <laughs> and I, I've said time and time again, the heat death of the universe will be upon us. And there will be Yadier Molina standing at home plate, <laughs> grinning that toothless grin of his and dunking a little flare into right center, probably to drive in the go ahead run. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but him, him catching Lance Lynn would have been a number. You told TLR coming out there to talk to both on the mound. It's something that in a different uh, alternate baseball universe, let's put it that way. There is an aging 50, 55, 60 year old Yadier Molina behind the backstop for the Chicago White Sox. He managed by 120 year old Tony Russo. Yeah. He just finds a way to sustain himself and keep going. And, and still Jerry is owner of the team yeah, somehow. 50 year old Jerry Reinsdorf. And the Bulls have not won another championship since 1998. Jerry Reinsdorf's head in a jar, like on Futurama. Let's um, let's go back in time, Randall. How does that sound? 20 years or so, the 2001 Chicago Cubs. We've been celebrating that team. We're going to keep that up over the next couple of weeks. A team that we love. They didn't make the playoffs. They won 88 games, but they had just so many memorable games. Last week, we talked about the Ricky Gutierrez game. That was the walk-off against the Colorado Rockies. He fell around third. Chaos ensues on the base paths. Cubs walk-off winners. I was thinking about what game I wanted to pull up for today, and I want to go back to earlier in the season, Saturday, May 5th, 2001. This is a special game for me. It was the first time I ever saw, I think, a true, true blowout at Wrigley Field. The Cubs beat the Dodgers this day 20 to 1, but it was a special day for me because I was at that ball game with my brothers, Connor and Sean. So had the three of us out there. We were ready for Cubs baseball, the matchup that day. Here's a couple of names from back in the day. Julian Tavares, who got the win for the Chicago Cubs to improve to three and one. Darren Dreifert, the starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it was a pretty hum-ho game through six innings. The Cubs were winning four to one. Sammy Sosa hit a home run in that fourth inning. I'm sorry, in the... Uh, Fourth inning, yeah. It was a four-run frame for the Chicago Cubs. It was his 10th home run of the season. It was May 5th. Sammy was already at 10 home runs. How about this? Todd Hundley, also with a home run off Darren Dryford in the fourth inning. So the Cubs have a four-run lead. You're getting into the late innings. You're thinking, all right, let's put this thing away. So what do the Cubs do? Eight spot in the seventh inning. Eight spot in the eighth inning. They win 20 to one. 20 runs, 18 hits, no errors for the Cubs. One run, six hits, three errors for the Dodgers. Couple of stats from that ball game. Just looking at the Cubs starting lineup. Eric Young Sr. was the leadoff hitter. He goes three for four, gets an RBI, scores a run. Pretty good day. Ricky Gutierrez, second in the lineup, two for five. Pretty nice day. This is when things get fun. Bill Miller had just one hit that day. He was one for two. He walked four times. He scores three runs. He had a couple of RBIs. Sammy, three for five with four driven in. Rondell, you can't spell D, uh, Rondell without, oh God, I messed it up. Oh, you can't on. spell DL without Rondell White. Dumb. Goes two for four with a couple of runs scored. Todd Hundley had the home run. Damon Buford, the Cubs center fielder that day, three for five with two runs driven in. The Cubs, like I said, 16 runs between the seventh and eighth innings. They win 20 to one. Jeremy, do you remember that ball game? It was a yes. Saturday in early May. Yes, I was actually, I was actually, I was trying to place it and I was trying to remember it and I thought I knew it. And I was about to ask, I was about to say, is that the game 
where the Cubs put up an eight spot in two late innings. They were winning, and then the, it was just kind of blew it out with two separate eight spots. And then you said that, and I was like, yeah, I do remember that game. Though I would like a couple corrections here. One, come on, it's Cinco de Mayo. It's not May 5th. And two, okay. and two, two. It's, <laughs> you can't spell Rondell without DL. I know. You can't spell DL without Rondell. <laughs> Without, that's a good point that's a good point i got ahead of myself there yeah so come on come on there but other than that yeah i do remember that game i you know the dodgers you know this is the year after the chad Kruder incident you know obviously not yeah. that, that year but I, I do remember a lot of that game i remember them putting up that that big those two late any eight spots like i said um yeah it was that, those were some good decent dodger teams as well so you know that was kind of like you're getting into this 2001 season and Things were kind of happening. You're like, oh, this team might actually be pretty good at some point. Uh, I remember, you know, and it's funny. You keep saying the Ricky Gutierrez game, and I'm sure we'll get to this. But in my head, when when I hear Ricky Gutierrez game, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later uh, in the year, but I think of the the Grand Slam against the White yeah, Sox. To me, totally. that's always the Ricky Gutierrez game. But uh, that and him, you know, getting that BS hit E5 off of Kerry Wood. But uh you know, yeah, I do remember that game. I do remember the double eight spots. It was a wild day at Wrigley. 38,468 fans at the ballpark. So a huge crowd under three hours for a game that featured 21 runs scored. There was a pitcher for the Dodgers. I mentioned Darren Dreifert started that game. Here's a former Cub pitched in relief. He didn't finish an inning, didn't get an out, allowed seven runs all earned. Jeremy, do you have any guesses who that former Cub was who was pitching for the Dodgers that day and got absolutely shelled. A former Cub who was pitching for the Dodgers and got shelled. Wow. I, coming in relief. Uh, hard-throwing right-hander. A hard-throwing right-hander. It would not... I mean... I mean, that, I mean... I, no, I'm blanking on this. I, I was trying to think of, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to throw up like a Jason Beret or something. No, good guess. But Terry Adams. Oh, Terry Adams. The former Cub who got obviously, shelled there. Obviously, Terry Adams. I was thinking, because my head went to Ishmael Valdez. And I'm like, no, he would have been on the Cubs at that time. But Terry Adams is the guy they traded for Ishmael Valdez. And I wasn't thinking of that. So Terry Adams doesn't record an out. He allows seven earned runs as part of that uh, big inning for the Cubs in the seventh inning. The Cubs relief pitcher. So Julian Tavares goes seven innings in that ball game, strikes out eight. One run, it was earned on six hits. Lowered his ERA to 1.49 with that performance. He had a very, very good start for the 2001 Cubs. Then a relief pitcher came in and worked two scoreless frames to finish things out in the eighth and the ninth inning. Earlier today, Randall, you were complaining because Connor Joe the young player for the Rockies hit the big grand slam. You were saying you can't trust anybody with two first names. The Cubs relief pitcher had two first names who finished that ball game. Can either of you guess who wrapped it up for Julian Tavares? I can, but only because I brought up this box score. So I would have a better idea of what you're talking about. So I'm going to abstain and I'll toss this over to Jeremy, but I do see where you're going with this. Well, it's not Terry Adams. It's not Terry Adams. <laughs> it's not the first base of Mark Grace. Uh, who man i'm gonna guess this this guy has two first names so i'm just gonna go with it. i'm gonna guess courtney duncan courtney duncan 
wrapped it up the final two innings. Uh, he was off to a good start that yeah. year for the Cubs, 3.2 on ERA. Things would get worse for Courtney Duncan. You were talking about the Ricky Gutierrez grand slam to beat the White Sox. It was a game where Sammy Sosa was intentionally walked to bring up Gutierrez. It was a pinch hit opportunity. He hits a grand slam into the first row of the bleachers and left Cubs win. Part of the reason why that was so significant is a couple weeks earlier on the south side, Carlos Lee had a walk-off grand slam against Courtney Duncan in a ball game I was at in an interleague game between the Cubs and the White Sox. So it was almost redemption. Gutierrez comes in, the Cubs get the grand slam to win a ball game on the north side. It wasn't a walk-off. It happened in the eighth. But Courtney Duncan, when I think of Courtney Duncan, I unfortunately think of that tough night on the south side. And if I remember that night correctly, David Wells started that ball game for the Chicago White Sox, and the Cubs got to him early. Then they couldn't do anything against the bullpen, and ultimately Courtney gave it up. That must have been one of the final games David Wells started for the Sox because he got hurt like midway through and and didn't finish the season. Uh, but yeah, my only memory of Courtney Duncan, for the most part, like vivid memory, is just him giving up that grand slam to Carlos Lee. Yeah, it sucked in person and, and walking down the ramps at New Comiskey Park going, ah, oh, man, that, that really sucked. But knowing that that was a special team, And the rest of the summer would prove to be that way. And we're going to continue to highlight the 2001 Chicago Cubs. It was a very, very fun season. It was a team that was stuck between a couple of 90 loss teams, uh, 99, 2000, uh, 2002. But a lot of fun in 2001. And then we knew what happened in 2003. And we'll pick out a couple more games. Yeah, we'll absolutely talk about the Gutierrez Grand Slam game. And uh, the first game at Wrigley Field following 9-11. That was an emotional night and a night that uh, I happened to be at the ballpark for as well. So pick out some more games from 2001. We'll highlight that team. Julio Zulata was lighting things on fire in the dugout. So we're going to talk about it because this Cubs team doesn't quite have that same spunk that 01 had. Ronan, one thing I noticed as I brought up this box score so I could kind of follow along with you here, uh, former Cub All-Star and current Cub broadcaster Ron Coomer pinch hit in this game for the starting pitcher Julian Tavares. And as you mentioned, the Cubs put up two huge innings late in the game. Uh, Julian Tavares pitched seven innings. He got one at-bat. Coomer pinch hit for him and got another three at-bats because of those two late innings. So Ron Coomer pinch hits for Julian Tavares real late in this game. He comes into the game in what looks like the seventh inning pinch hitting for the starting pitcher. He gets another three at bats because of those big innings. He gets two hits and he scores two runs. And this is a game he doesn't enter until the seventh inning because those two innings turned the lineup over as much as they did. So there's always some oddity to be found when you go digging into the box scores. Yeah, and let me throw one more thing out there about the Dodgers starting lineup that day. A whole bunch of former Cubs. Tom Goodwin led off in center field. Mark Rudzelanik hit second at second. <coughs> Pardon me. <laughs> Eric Karos was the starting first baseman. So lots of Cubs names, you know, in the mix there. And, future um, former there were, Cubs. Yeah, I was going to say future, future former Cubs. Exactly. Future former Cubs. And Dave Hansen, another former Cub, was in the Dodgers exactly. starting lineup. He was an actual former Cub at that point, not a future former Cub. But you dig up these old box scores, you reminisce on old teams and games. And if you're interested at all in this ball game, it's on YouTube. Just type in May 5th, 2001 Cubs Dodgers. A great Cubs fan recorded it back on probably VHS back then. Put it up online and now it's available for you to watch. And you can see some of those big moments in that game. Is that a Joe Carter game or a Dave Otto game? That's a good question because I was there. Oh, I I thought maybe you watched that on YouTube lately. 
I, you know, I I, I want to say it was Carter. I want to well, say it was WGN, Carter. But, I believe was yeah. Carter, and Otto was was Fox Sportsnet. I, and I, I don't remember what was broadcast in that one, but yeah. uh, it was weird times. I think that the Cubs analyst these days is in much better shape than when it was Dave Otto and Joe Carter. No disrespect to either of those players who had big league careers. I, I yeah. just think they're in much better shape right now with J.D., and I think we all agree with that pretty easily. Yeah, I don't even know what Dave Otto's up to because then they moved him to like a studio. He was a studio guy, and like he just kind of disappeared. I'm embarrassed. I know what he's up to because oh, I do. was looking up Dave Otto the other day for other reasons. He's in sales. <laughs> okay. He works in sales now, and I hope he's doing well. I, I was wondering with the launch of Marquee, I was kind of feeling sad for Dave Otto. Like he probably feels upset or left out. And I'm not trying to speak for the guy. I don't know him. I've never spoken to him in my life. But given all the extra broadcasters they brought on, they didn't, or at least up to this point, haven't had a role for him. And maybe he's moved on from that. Maybe he's just moved on to his career. But I looked him up the other day. He popped up on LinkedIn, and sure enough, he's selling something. But you got to be, you got to be some kind of strong to do whatever he's doing. Oh, Randall. <laughs> well, I've, I'm seeing more and more of Marquis, and and gosh, uh, some of it is tough to watch. Put it that way. And uh, and not just talking about the product on the field. There's some parts of the presentation that are just getting tougher and tougher they had a stat earlier today too it was like the number of doubles yeah. that patrick wisdom is hit on, on wednesdays this year yeah, it and it's three. like what are we doing here <laughs> ronan <laughs> like, you you've <laughs> mentioned this how whatever rsn carries the rockies would put things like that up these cherry-picked stats that show you how great tony walters is or whatever you, sure. you mentioned that as the cubs are in the process of launching marquee and and sure enough the, the prophecy has come to pass where everything we hated about other teams RSN broadcasts has been incorporated into the Cubs TV. It's it's been frustrating and it was a fear of mine. It's like I would make fun of the Rockies broadcast like I'm so glad you don't see this nonsense with the Cubs on WGN or Comcast SportsNet and it's like they're going out of their way to add more circus and carnival to a Cubs broadcast. Now we know that Marquis leadership has talked about wanting like a national broadcast, but local fans don't like national broadcast. This is a local broadcast. And at some point, I think his name's Mike McCarthy. will get yeah. that figured out or he'll get a new job because Tom Ricketts is paying that guy a lot of money and viewership right now isn't so good. So maybe they'll get it together and figure it out. Bring because in it's, a couple it's just guys unnecessary and it's painful. And it's, it's, out and of town, it, it's out of town. Stupid is what it is. And Chicago. And I know I mentioned this in an earlier episode, Chicago has a unique culture to it that people from Chicago and people who identify as Chicagoans have a lot of pride in, just like people in New York do. There's really no, I mean, there is a difference there, but to each their own, right? Like New York is loyal to New York in the way that we are to Chicago in a lot of ways that other cities aren't because of a heavy transplant population or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's the cold winters that make Chicago people the way that they are, but people want to watch a Chicago broadcast and WGN was definitively and distinctly Chicago. So Mike McCarthy, Get it together, man. Figure it out. What we want is a Chicago broadcast. We don't need tweets up in the middle of games. And I know this guy is Chicagoan, but we don't need John Belushi. Or, uh, yeah, Belushi getting yeah. interviewed. Well, the other Belushi. Yeah, they, they haven't put John Belushi on the broadcast, I don't believe. Jim Belushi. Uh, Jim Belushi, yes. I, you know, a name. John, they John, kinda, John's been gone for a little while. We're yeah, together. He, he, I would dead. like to see John I don't need to see that in the middle of a ball game, even in a, a season like this. It's just a bit too much. But just remember to tell your friends that Jim Belushi has the gas, though. Uh, uh, I heard he's a farmer. Yeah, he, that's what I'm saying. He tweeted that out. He tweeted out some 
big crystallization and it said remember tell your friends jim belushi has the gas but uh what i was gonna say is i, I like boog and i like jim uh deshays not belushi but uh i i would say those are also kind of you know they're not local guys boog being a more of a national guy and i don't i don't believe that stat would ever come anywhere close to being on the actual broadcast of a game because i don't feel like boog would allow that <laughs> that feels like a cole wright special on the pregame show <laughs> um but uh, I, I do like, you know, that and, you know, such been decent lately. I'm, and I'm not a big fan of the three man booth, though. I do like getting an ex cub in there. You know, somebody who has more ties to the city of Chicago, more ties to Wrigley. I do like that because Deshaies, you know, he's been here forever now. So it's it, he has he does feel like the Cubs. But, Boog, you know, he's still kind of find feeling his grasp of like Wrigley Field Cubs baseball, not really a national broadcast. Yeah, we've we've adopted we've adopted Jim Deshays. He he is an honorary Chicago Cub at this point, even though it's only been in the broadcast booth. Well, and he gets it too for being here for the good and the bad, right? You don't just get to jump on the roller coaster at the top. You got to start at the bottom, and that's something that JD's been a part of, and we can respect that for people who've been around this team. You get sort of into Cubs culture with that. I'll say to Boog's credit too, I think he's improved as the season's gone on, and one thing he's done a much much better job, particularly the last couple of weeks is sounding exciting when the Cubs do important things. And it bothered me earlier in the year, but I also think sort of reflecting on it, it, that it would have been almost disingenuous for him to be completely over the top before he's really realized what it's like to be around this organization. But it's nice to hear him sounding really excited when the Cubs hit home runs. His Rafael Ortega walk-off was a great call, one of his best calls of the season. And that's been good to see. So it takes time. I remember even when Len Casper started in 2005, first couple weeks and months were a challenge. And, and fans were sort of lukewarm warming up to him. And he became a Cubs icon. And even though he's gone to the south side, he's still well-respected. And we look back on Len Casper down the road we're going to love him and we're going to continue to love him and everything that he did on the North side. So Boog settling into it. JD has become a cub as far as I'm concerned. And that's the real highlight. And I'm willing to admit this too. I've been impressed. I do think Ryan Dempster has improved. I still don't love him. I don't need him on the broadcast, but he has gotten better. And that's something that I can appreciate because I've been very critical of him over the years. He has improved. There is a functional brain in there when he's not so busy doing <laughs> shtick that it, it gets overshadowed. I, as you said, I don't need a third guy on the broadcast. It, it just, it clutters it up too much. Um, now you've mentioned, you know, how Len Casper, it took some time for people to warm up to him. I think Boog is potentially poised to have a very similar arc as a Cubs broadcast. Len of course came in in 2005, uh, a team that was pretty middling and it was followed by 2006, a team that was awful. And then it was followed by 2007, a team that was very much on the upswing. Uh, and it took until 2007 until Len kind of really put down roots as a Cubs broadcaster. We cite that June 2007 game with the Ramirez walk-off all the time as Len's first great Cubs TV call. And I think the way the team is hopefully poised to rebound from this season in 2022 and 2023, I think Boog has an opportunity to follow a very similar arc where he comes in when the team is not particularly good and he works his way up to really settling in and hopefully becoming the beloved TV voice of a productive era of Cubs baseball. So I hope the team improves enough to give Boog that opportunity. And I hope Boog is able to settle in just as the way Len was. One thing about Boog though is, and I know he moved here. I am still a little wary 
at how long term Boog will be here because I feel like he's I mean he's done local broadcast in the past he did three years in Atlanta he did a few years in Florida so I am a little you know and then he's gone back to being a national guy and he's still technically working for ESPN doing games so I'm a little wary and uh kind of you know a little apprehensive about when Boog I could see him kind of especially if the Cubs don't get good I, I I'm a little skeptical of, of whether or not Boog's gonna stay here for the long haul long haul or even if he does like, is it that he's going to be calling 130, 120 games a year? Is it going to, is his work and load going to start dropping at some point? So there's that always kind of with me with Boog. Yeah, Jeremy, that's a, that's a great point. You know, I don't think we get contract terms on broadcasters. I don't think they tell us that they've signed him to a one-year deal, a two-year deal. So I, I do think about that sometimes. Boog, of course, came to the Cubs from a, a, a national job. Would there be inclination on his part to go back to doing a completely national schedule as opposed to this hybrid schedule he does right now, especially if imagine if Vazgerzin moves out of the Sunday night baseball booth and they offer that to Boog, would he leave and would he take that continuing to do MLB's, I'd call it their flagship broadcast. It's their only exclusive national game. It's the Sunday night game. Every other game is done by then. If they were to offer him that, would he leave the Cubs booth and necessitate the the, the need for a search for a play-by-play voice again. So that is a very good point. I would hope it doesn't come up. I would hope he's happy here and I would hope he is financially compensated to the point where he wouldn't consider leaving. But as we saw with Len, guys, you know, they sometimes there are reasons to leave. You want an opportunity elsewhere. So I hope Boog is here for a long time. Cause again, we've been very fortunate to ha- not have a carousel of television play-by-play voices. We went from Harry Carey to Chip Carey to Len Casper and now to Boog, and all of them had extended stays in the Cubs television booth. So I certainly hope Boog isn't only here for a season or two. I hope he's here for a long time, and I hope he becomes the TV voice of the next great group of Cubs teams. I would just point out, though, uh, and yeah, obviously, if he he was offered the Sunday night job, um, but uh, John Miller, when he had the Sunday night job for 20 years he still did local broadcast he still worked for the giants i think at the beginning he worked for the orioles so and uh you know gary thorne i remember was a guy with uh, espn and he did mets and orioles broadcasts so I, I don't know i'm just you know who knows i just there is still a part of me that maybe he could do that and work but maybe his workload does drop over time no it's it's a salient thought you know the guy came from a national broadcast what would his terms be for going back to a, a full national schedule len came of course from he was with the Marlins at the time when the Cubs brought him in. So he didn't come from a national job. He just hopped from one team to another. So I think it's a very salient point, And I hope it's not something that comes up in the short term, because I'd like Boog to be here for a long time. I do, too. And I'd love to pick his brain about what he really feels of the TV Sunday night job, because he does the radio broadcasts. And on the TV side of things, you know, it's a product that's a bit antiquated. It's a product that's driven by all these excess storylines. As a broadcaster, you're handcuffed in a lot of ways in doing that job. It's a job that a lot of fans, like whoever does it, fans kind of tend to hate because those broadcasters are so obnoxious. There's no question it's a high-profile gig. It's a high-compensated gig. But I wonder at this point in his career, he's very successful. He's made a ton of money, and he's earned it. I'm, I'm not saying anything to that point. But I wonder if he would rather be sort of a local legend in a market like Chicago with the Cubs versus going to the national beat like that on TV and just sort of being tolerated or, or maybe liked. But you know that as a broadcaster, there's so many producers and 
suits basically that need to get their paws and justify their patrics that that they they have to inject themselves into these broadcasts that maybe he doesn't want that and i'm not trying to speak for him i'm just would really love to sit down with him if he's a beer drinker you know have a beer and ask him you've done so much you've had these incredible broadcasting jobs what's left for you to do what would satisfy you in a way that no other jobs in broadcasting could right now and i'd love to hear his truthful sincere answer to that Ronan, that's a great point. You know, Matt Fazgerson was the voice of national baseball for many years, voice of a, a number of baseball video games for a lot of people. And, you know, what is he right now? He's the, the voice of talking to A-Rod. Yeah, great point, Alex, after A-Rod says a three-run lead is better than a two-run lead. And, you know, doing some local games for the Angels. So I think that's a good point. And that's probably one of the things that those of us who are not broadcasters maybe don't think about is what a broadcaster wants to be as they start to get older. Do you want to be maybe the tolerated national guy, as you said, or do you want to be the beloved local guy? And it seems to me the only way to get answers to these questions is to have Boog on the podcast. So we'll, uh, we'll put out some feelers, <laughs> there you go. put out some feelers. We'll talk to his people and see if we can get him to uh, appear with us here on behind the yellow line. Good idea, Randall. And if not, you know, we'll call up Zach Zaidman. I'm sure he'd love to chat with us. Tackling, with all the, in, the uh, back, tackling that... in the background as we banter. I, I suggest we get Zaidman and Bruce Levine on there. <laughs> oh, man. Together. That'll be uh, the last time you hear me on behind the yellow line. I, I, I would say something that would uh, disqualify me from moving forward here, but it's been a crazy week. It's late folks. Randall, it's past yep. your bedtime. You got to get to bed. You got a big day tomorrow. You got to get up early. Huxley's here scratching at the door. So we're going to bring this thing home for Randall and Jeremy. Crazy Cubs homestand. Best wishes this weekend, Randall, on the south side. We'll see how this goes. And we'll see you next week for episode number 34 of Behind the Yellow Line.